What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Jim Cramer. Carl has the morning off. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin was going to join us. Just a few moments from now, nothing really to talk to him about. Let's take a look at futures this morning as we get you ready for an open for another week here in August. You can see we are set up for what appears to be a higher open. No shortage, Jim, of topics to discuss. Chief amongst them, of course, and related to Secretary Mnuchin is where do things really stand in terms of any hope in getting a larger bill out of Congress as opposed to just these executive orders from the president that are taking quite a bit of heat over the weekend? Yeah, look, David, I think that there's a sense uh, initially that it was a White House grab. And as it kind of went through the weekend, there was a recognition that, wait, wait a second, maybe it's an ephemeral grab. Uh, if you're going to give 400, 100 has to come from the states. But many of the states, including uh, red states, are in trouble. Uh, the thing that's most confounding people is, is that 12 percent of the people who make between 80 and 100 thousand dollars get this bizarre uh, payroll tax cut when I think the payroll the problem is not the people who are employed, but the people who are unemployed. I think that it's so counterintuitive. But my old friend Larry Kudlow always believed in that, always believed in that. So we've got we have Secretary Mnuchin right now, which is terrific. Uh, Let's Mr. do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Mr. Go ahead, Jim. OK, Mr. Secretary, always good to see you on Squawk on the Street. We get a little uh, maybe we get a little bargaining done right on the show. How have you been? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing fine, thanks. I know that you're not happy about things being off the rails because 31 million people in both blue and red states are unemployed. How do we get things restarted? How do we get it so that uh, uh, Speaker's Pelosi doesn't think that your side doesn't give a damn? Because I know you do give a damn, and I know that you want to help the most vulnerable people. Well, Jim, I, I think there is a compromise if the Democrats are willing to be reasonable. Um, there is still a lot of things that we need to do and that we've agreed on. I mean, and let me just go through a few of them. First of all, schools. The president wants to make sure that there's enough money to open schools safely. That's something that's very important. I think you've heard me say the Democrats in the Heroes Bill had $100 billion. We've put in $105 billion. Um, I've spoken to many governors over the weekend to understand their direct costs. I'll be getting on a video call this afternoon with all of them and the vice president to talk about schools. Uh, we've agreed on more money for PPP, for businesses that are particularly hard hit, getting a second, uh, a second check. We've agreed on more direct payments like we sent out last time. Uh, the Democrats wanted money for food, so we compromised on that. We've, we want money for vaccines, hospitals, rental assistance, and we've given them flexibility, and we've offered more money for state and local, but we're not going to give a trillion dollars to state and local. That's just not a, a reasonable approach. Right. I, I completely understand that, but I guess where I feel that there's some unrealism is 
Uh, how do we get something for small business right now? Uh, I know that you are actually the voice for small business in this country. Those are the ones that are directly at, in the crosshairs of COVID-19. It is certainly not their fault. You spoke from the very beginning about business interruption insurance. Why can't we make it retroactive for small business so we can get these places in shape, given the fact that you know that they have about half the revenues coming in and this can't, the costs are the same? Jim, I'm, I'm highly confident if we put another PPP bill uh, up for a vote that uh, had second payments for businesses that were down 50 percent, that make sure we had money going for distressed and minority areas, I'm, I'm highly confident we'd have an overwhelming number of people on both sides of the aisle pass that. So, you know, normally in a negotiation, what you do is you say, let's, let's agree on the things we, we can agree on and, and let's pass legislation so that... The American people get the benefit of that, whether it's small business or schools or other things. Let's let's not hold up everything over a few things that we disagree on. Geez, this, actually, this sounds much more positive than the way I felt this weekend. Let me ask you, I know that there's a belief that the $600 a week discourages employment, uh, but I, I have to question whether that, that isn't bogus, given the fact that you've had incredible job growth in May, in June, in July, just when the checks were going out. Why not do this? Or is there some sort of uh, worry about the Constitution and fiscal responsibility? Because I know that these people are not unemployed by because of their own fault. Well, Jim, there's no question about that. And the president wants to get every single person back to work that's lost their job. And, and as you said, we, we got a lot of people back to work. The, the previous plan has worked. We need to do more. And, and we want to do more. But let me just put this in perspective. During the financial crisis, we had a $25 top-up in the Obama administration for federal unemployment. Uh, we put on the table a $400 top-up. We thought that was a fair compromise. We also put on the table, by the way, 70% wage replacement up to the $600 for people who make more money. And we think those are very fair. And because there wasn't legislation, the president went forward with executive authority. He, he wants to make sure that those people that are un- unemployed, no fault to their own, get paid. Secretary Mnuchin, it's David Faber. Uh, specific to that um, new unemployment benefit or the one replacing the 600, 25 percent of it is supposed to come from the states. And I know there's been some question as to whether the states have the wherewithal to even provide that. So 100 bucks from the states and 300 from the feds. But there's real question as to that 100 coming from the states. What do you say uh, to those who question whether they even have the fiscal wherewithal to pull that off? Well, let me just say that the 25% isn't really coming from the states because we're authorizing them to use money out of the $150 billion we just sent them. So in essence, all 100% is coming from the federal government. I have from every single state how much money they have left over. They have plenty of money. And the answer is we've also said in new legislation, we'll top that up. So it won't, it won't cost them a dime. So to the extent they use money out of those facilities now. When we pass legislation, we'll make sure they get that money back. And on top of all of that, if, if there are some states that really have problems, that the president has the ability to waive the 25% entirely. So what we need to do is we need to get legislation passed that helps the American public get back to work. All right. Well, specifically back to your resistance to the trillion dollars that the, uh, that the Congress or the, uh, the House has passed uh, in terms of aid for the states. You know, I've heard the objections being about, well, we don't want states 
uh, aiding their ailing pension fund systems and things like that. But aren't there ways to make sure the money is used specifically to help states that are suffering huge budget deficits that are going to face huge layoffs as a result of of reducing expenses? Aren't there ways to go about spending that trillion to make sure it meets your objections? Well, let me just be clear. The trillion dollars is just an absurd, uh, an absurd number. Why is it an absurd number, though? Why is why is it an absurd number, Mr. Secretary? Well, again, I, I have data from the states. Let me first say that the states have money left from last time. I've already given them flexibility. They can use that money for firefighters, policemen, first responders, health care workers. So there's no reason they need to lay off those people. I have state by state how much money is left. So there's, there's plenty of money now. And we've put more money on the table. So, you know, certain states had financial issues coming into this because of bad policies. I mean, New York keeps on raising their taxes. Everybody is going to move out of New York. I saw your segment earlier about how, you know, with with people working from home and remote locations, it's going to be easier for businesses to move their headquarters out of some of these states. But let me tell you, Florida has no problem. And, and by the way, well, I, yeah, I, but, I just but red states like Kentucky have have a problem, too. I mean, it's not just blue states. And I know as a native New Yorker, it pains you to think about the, the fiscal straits of your city. But, uh, you know, it's not just the blue states or those that are necessarily have higher taxes, Secretary. Well, let me just say, I, I spoke to the governor of Texas over the weekend, just as an example. You know, that's obviously the largest state. And uh, based upon our proposal, I, I think they have more than enough money to cover the deficit. So, look, I understand New York has problems, and, you know, I, I wish they didn't have financial problems. I, I, I think that perhaps the, the state should put in financial control board over the city because the city is really going in the wrong direction. And uh, it, re- it reminds me of the 70s. I want to see New York City succeed. I know. When you and I grew up there, uh, it's, it's true. Uh, California, by the way, is the largest state, though, and they have a over $50 billion budget deficit, I believe. Uh, I, I don't believe that's the, the number for California. Okay. That, that may be a multi-year number, but uh, I don't think that's correct. All right, Mr. Secretary, I wanted to talk about something that I know. Yes, you you are correct. My mistake. Texas is the second, so I apologize for that. Thanks for fact-checking. I do love this great nature of the secretary. Makes a mistake, comes out, says it. That's how we all should be. Uh, There's something that, that confuses me, Mr. Secretary. You and I are completely in sync about the idea that the small business is really the backbone of the country, as is Mr. Kudlow. But when you do a payroll tax deferral, uh, what you're doing is just delaying the inevitable. And the people who are most helped are the people who are employed. Isn't the problem the 31 million who aren't employed? Well, Jim, you keep on saying 30 million. You're you're, you're way too high. We got got a lot of people back to work, so we're far from the 30 million. But the answer is we have too many people unemployed. So what we got to do is we got to do a combination of tax cuts and regulatory relief and direct help to, as you said, small businesses. They're 50% of the economy, so they can hire people back. And we need to have uh, stimulus with that. So the direct checks are a very important part of economic stimulus. They go to people who work and people who don't work. And by the way, people spent that money. You've seen that in the retail sales numbers. And we need to then have a fair unemployment system for the people who can't get jobs. 
So it, it's a combination of an overall package. The, the president's economic plan worked. We had the best economy in the world. Uh, this COVID terrible disease shut down the economy, and now we've got to reopen it safely and get people back to work. Right. I completely agree with that. That's what I'm trying to figure out. What's the point of the payroll tax deferral? What we need, obviously, is something that defers uh, small business from having to pay rent. I mean, they don't have. Let's go back a little. We're in a pandemic. Okay, you and I both know it's a pandemic. That's a war against an illness. When we get to where we defeat the war, defeat them in the war, then we are fine. Until then, everybody needs help who's in trouble. And let's say it's 20 million unemployed if I add up the number of people who got jobs in the last three months. Isn't that the issue? And shouldn't we just be giving help to everybody? Or is there some level where you genuinely think we can't go? In other words, that there is some level that the Constitution uh, can't allow them or that is there a limit to the country's borrowing power? Because if there isn't, then we have to get a bridge to when we've beaten COVID-19. Well, obviously, there there is some limit to what we can borrow. We're, We're not at it now. And the president is determined to spend what we need to spend. Uh, the, the $3 trillion we spent, plus a, a trillion dollars more, that's about 20% of GDP. I mean, that's just absolutely historic. And we're prepared to put more money on the table. So we're, there are things, as I said, that made sense to compromise. We've compromised. So we're not stuck at the trillion dollars, but we're not going to go to unlimited amounts of money to do things that don't make sense. But that's, uh, it's not unlimited. I mean, that's just, I think that's hyperbole, Mr. Secretary. About $3 trillion, $1 trillion, you split it. You go to $2 trillion, or maybe you go to $1.8 trillion. But certainly, if this is a war, we can't split hairs. It's unfortunate. Jim, Jim we're splitting things that make sense to split. So let, let me be clear. You know, if I had started at zero and they had started at $10 trillion, would that have made sense to do a $5 trillion deal? Of course not. So you don't just split the difference. What you do is you go line by line. You say, let's agree where we can agree. And you're right. On things where we agree but we're, we're apart on money, we split the difference. Things like food, uh, I, I listened to the speaker over the weekend. She's right. We started low on food. We realized there's a lot of kids out there that there's an issue. So we agreed on more than enough money for this year and through most of next year on food. We didn't make long-term policy changes in the middle of COVID. So we did that. And we can go down the list, and that's what we've done. But what we're not going to do is say where there's really bad policy ideas, we're not going to just split the difference. Um, when are you guys planning on getting back together to, uh, to talk? Do you have any, uh, any idea? Uh, again, I'm not going to comment on the specifics of the logistics of negotiations because I, I don't think that that's helpful. Um, you know, there's a deal to do if the, the Democrats are reasonable and want to compromise. And if their attitude is, you know, we'd rather give you nothing than agree on things, then we're not going to get a deal. But I, I heard Pelosi over the weekend and Schumer, and I, I think they're willing to compromise. So, uh, again, if we can get a fair deal, we'll do it yeah. this week. But the president needed to take action. He's not going to sit around. We left the meeting on Friday. Mark Meadows and I reported back to him that we were nowhere. And that's why he moved forward. Uh, Well, yeah, nowhere to somewhere would be good. While I've got you, Mr. Secretary, you know, something else the markets are certainly focused on is our relationship with China. 
You have been instrumental in negotiating a potential ban on TikTok here in the U.S. and on negotiations for a potential buyer of that business. Can you give us an update on your expectations? Is Microsoft going to be in a position to buy TikTok or perhaps another buyer so that it stays uh, a viable business here in the United States? Well, I'm not going to comment on the specifics of the Microsoft negotiations or other parties. But what I will say is, you know, I I am very proud that Congress passed uh, updated CFIUS legislation uh, where now we have all the tools we need to use. So we have both the CFIUS tools as well as we have IEPA. It's perfectly clear that there's 100% agreement both across Republicans and Democrats that we can't have an app like this that's collecting information on Americans uh, of this size and scale. So the president made perfectly clear it's not going to continue to exist in this format. And to the extent there's an appropriate U.S. buyer that can get us comfortable with the security issues, going forward, that deal will be approved. If not, uh, the president's given a deadline and it'll be shut down. All right, Mr. Secretary, when Nancy Pelosi said that you're basically heartless and don't give a damn, it reached a level of rancor that I think we both agree is really terrible. Is there any way, I mean, the president just tweeted uh, that Schumer and Pelosi want to make a deal, amazing how it all works, uh, where have they been for the last four weeks when they were hardliners and only want to bail out money for Democrat-run states and cities that are failing badly. They know my phone number. Can we ratchet it back? I mean, you know, look, this is a pandemic. The country needs to get together. There's a, how many states were over 100,000 cases, 5 million cases in the country. This is not the time for rancor. It's the time to try to figure out t- whether we can reach some common ground, particularly for the working people who are losing their jobs as small business. Can we just have some sort of pledge that that kind of rhetoric can, can at least that you'll make an effort to get that rhetoric to calm down? Well, Jim, the, the issue isn't the rhetoric. The issue is the action. So, uh, we, but you we've can't done, get action we've done, with we've such done, We've done four deals with the Democrats on coronavirus. We, we passed the USMCA. We got a budget deal. Um, when they're reasonable, we can get deals done. If they're going to be unreasonable, we're not going to get a deal done. But what's important is now is a time, as you said, in the middle of this, this COVID crisis, we need the Democrats and the Republicans to come together. We did this previous two times, 96 to 0 and 100 to 0. The good news is that program worked. So there is much more of a diversity of ideas. We're not nearly in the same emergency that we were in last time, but we still have more work to do, and that's why we need to pass legislation. Let's start with education. We all agree on education. I've spoken to the governors. I know how much money they need. The president will be more than happy to sign a standalone education bill. Well, let's get that done. Let's not hold up our kids, and let's not hold up our small businesses that need to get back to work. This is not about partisan politics. Let's focus on the kids and the jobs. Well, Mr. Secretary, I, I know you have to leave, but it, it, am I wrong to have any hope here whatsoever? I mean, I, I don't want to be a Pollyanna. You're not a Pollyanna. I'm not a Pollyanna. I mean, is it just better to say, listen, better luck next time? Jim, I don't speculate. If there's a fair deal to do, we'll do a fair deal. And that, that, that's always been our approach. So the president wants action. That's his first choice. Uh, if there's a fair deal to do, we'll do it. And uh, again, we're not the ones who are holding this up. We're the ones who are saying, let's pass legislation that we can both agree on. 
All right, Mr. Secretary, I, I do hope that something, I, look, the American people hope, hope that something happens. There's just too many people unemployed, even if it's 20 million. Thank you so much for coming on CNBC, though. And you are always welcome because I know you represent a person who wants to get the job done. Mr. Secretary Mnuchin, thank you so much. Thanks. Great to be with both of you. Bye. Are you, are you at all uh, optimistic? There were some things at the beginning he said they can agree on. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that if the, I think it was up to just Secretary Mnuchin to be a deal. I think you're right. Yeah. But it's probably not. Right. Um, well, there some we interesting agree. comments. Yeah. Yeah. Financial Control Board for New York. He's, he's, yeah, he's a child like me. He grew up in the 70s in New York. He remembers what it was like. Well, he then. sees the boarded up buildings, which yeah, is it's just not as bad that, I mean, it's not that bad. It's, it's well, good. And the tax base is quickly leaving. Um, you know what, Jim? While we were uh, having our interviews, some important news was coming out on McDonald's involving its previous CEO. Kate Rogers has that for us. Kate, bring us up to date. Hi, David. Good morning. McDonald's is suing its former CEO, Steve Easterbrook, according to new documents. In a filing this morning, the company says it's suing Easterbrook for fraud, destroying and concealing evidence in order to retain his compensation package and moral turpitude. This is related to his firing last year. The suit says McDonald's has now learned that Easterbrook concealed evidence and lied about his wrongdoing. Recently identified evidence shows that Easterbrook had physical sexual relationships with three McDonald's employees in the year before his termination that he approved an extraordinary stock grant worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for one of those employees in the midst of their sexual relationship and that he was knowingly untruthful with McDonald's investigators in 2019. The filing adds that an internal investigation into this allegation discovered photographic evidence that while he was CEO, Easterbrook had engaged in a physical sexual relationship with three additional company employees in the year before his termination. This was uncovered via emails on the company's server that had not been deleted. The point of the suit would be to claw back some of Easterbrook's compensation package. Remember, he was fired without cause. This would move to fire him with cause. Really unprecedented here. We will be reaching out to Mr. Easterbrook and we'll bring you any updates that we get, guys. Back over to you. Okay. Wow. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. I mean, when you look over the complaint, uh, one could argue that because they say that it's fraud, uh, that if I were an enterprising U.S. attorney, I would run with this like there's no tomorrow, particularly because of the uh, prurient nature of the sexual pictures, which is always something that the uh, unfortunately or fortunately, the American people seems to be compelled to know more about. David. Yeah. Uh, when you look at this, I question whether McDonald's, which wanted to obviously put this thing behind them, moved too fast, given the fact that it wasn't like a, a lot of concealed evidence. No, well, moved too fast and what? I mean, they dismissed him, I think, upon learning of his violation of company policy at the time, as I recall. M- moved too fast with, uh, with the cause or without cause. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is about as without cause as you can get. Yes, and, uh, you know, lying to the board. Yeah. Uh, doing things that are, well, are, are preposterous, frankly. Uh, yeah. Giving and basically allowing stock grants to people that you're sleeping with is uh, not. Yeah. To pay them off company with stock. Policy. I don't know. This guy. Well, let's just say he's beyond the pale. Uh, I, I like them. Well, you know, listen. The, so the, much for that. Yeah. Um, Unexpected. Unexpected. All right, no, let's ill-advised get... is the term. Yes, How yes. many times do I have to tell you it's ill-advised? Unexpected news about ill-advised behavior. There you go. How's that? Now you're going because ill-advised means that you're a real ambassador of good faith. 
Um, let's give you another look at futures, everybody, as we uh, get you ready for an opening bell here. You can see coming off of where we were about 15 minutes or so ago, but still looking for a slightly higher open, a lot more squawk on the street when we come right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Oh, what a ride it's been for Kodak. You can see there, of course, and it's been even higher than that, down 40% today. Why? Well, remember that $765 million loan it was getting to become a company that made chemicals for the generic and for the drug industry? Well, that loan is in question now. The International Development Finance Corporation, in a tweet on late Friday night, says, we're not sure anymore. Jim and I will have a lot more on it. We're going to take a quick commercial break and right back on Squawk on the Street. All right, we're counting you down to the open of the market about a minute from now, which gives me time when Carl's out. We do this as a tradition, Jim. I didn't give you any uh, heads up. No. What you think the key to this market is this morning? Uh, I hate to bore you with this, but there's two huge notes on Apple, and both of them saying that the stock has basically been mispriced and can go much higher. Uh, I was hoping it would be that Norfolk Southern, uh, with an action call from Deutsche Bank, basically saying, along with Federal Express, a Bernstein call, that it's time to buy the transports. Because in that, but that's really United Parcel, David. They're looking at United Parcel. So I have to default to, yes, the largest company on earth and why it's worth even more, raising price target. The easiest call in the world, David, the easiest call in the world. It just keeps going and going and going, doesn't it? Well, you know, we got a have and have not market. Yes, we and, do. And uh, the have nots are just completely out of control in terms of how nobody wants them. Yeah, there are a lot more have-nots than haves, but as we've made the point time and again, just five stocks represent, I think, almost a quarter at this point of the uh, of the movement in the S&P 500 index. But, it is a market-weighted index, which right. we've always said, hey, statistically relevant, unlike the Dow, which, of course, is price-weighted. But, David, but there are still some people, thrown off. there yeah. are some people who are, frankly, uh, taking advantage of it. IAC, going at, maybe, maybe going after MGM. They took a stake in it. They did, 11% stake. And that's significant stake someone who believes yes. that there might be something going on that's worth investing in. Yeah, no, without a doubt. There is, listen, I'm not... Not saying there isn't stuff no. going up. Things are, are busy, actually, when it comes to even transactions. And it just it feels as though things are getting back to a busier place. Right. And I'm not just talking M&A. We've talked a lot about special purpose acquisition corporations, which pop up everywhere every day. Everybody's got one. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, two M&A, two other things, and then to scandal, too. I mean, this McDonald's story is truly amazing. Not sure it's going to have any impact on the stock price, no. Jim. No, it's just a... It's shocking. We were calling it the Plaxi a few minutes ago, which is it's somewhat like Plaxico Burris, who was a wide receiver for the Giants who shot himself in the leg. I mean, I, I, I struggle to find a, a better metaphor, but I do think that it was uh, that the controls of McDonald's are lacking here, not just because of the pictures, which obviously is prurient, but the stock option grant. I mean, that's something that must have should have hit someone's radar. Don't you think, David? You would think that when you're rewarding that kind of stock to a particular employee, I mean, oftentimes I know it's signed off on by the board, at least in some way, something someone's taking a look. Um, but, David, it speaks to a party atmosphere. Yeah. It's not one man. No. It speaks to a, um, a Delta Health situation, frankly. 
yes, I always appreciate when you have a Faber uh, College reference. That's why I do Animal it. Animal House reference, so thank you for that. Right. The, the, uh, I, the board has to be looked at. The audit committee has to be looked at. You can't sweep this one under the rug because it's obvious that there's a culture there that even though they made a change at the top, that is sorely lacking in controls. And, and you, that's just not right for a company of McDonald's stature. I know the, tri- the complaint reads as if, hey, listen, we're great, he's bad. But no, it, it, it's just not one man. I mean, there's, uh, there had to have been a culture which just said anything goes because Easterbrook's real good and came up with a breakfast menu. And when you have that, it's not good enough to be able to say, hey, you know what? It turns out that there was one guy doing some bad things. No. And, and I, I'm disappointed in the company, frankly. Just very disappointed. Um, not just Mr. Easterbrook, who has distinguished himself as a fool. Well, he's, yes, uh, you can use that word. He's distinguished himself as something very active. I, sp- I picked fool because it seemed, I don't know, kind of vanilla. Yeah, it is vanilla. And I think we're better off staying on that territory and moving on, uh, perhaps. You know, um, Jim, our friends over at Nicola, Nicola right. got a deal to, uh, to make a bunch of trucks for uh, 2,500 battery electric waste trucks for, for Republic Services. Um, wow, it's it, a waste yeah, company. 2,500 electrified chassis, the option to increase the order to 5,000 units. It's the largest single order in the waste industry. They say signals Republic's commitment to zero emission vehicles. On-road testing likely to begin in 2022. I mentioned, of course, because last week we had that very interesting and entertaining uh, interview with the company's founder, Trevor Milton, where we said, you know, we're going to hold him to his, uh, to his uh, contention. The next four months is going to be huge. Right. company. And we said we'd beat him silly if it wasn't the case. Well, look, it, the, it, this is a very interesting development because both Republic and waste management historically have been at the forefront of other ways to deliver. Uh, it's very important to remember they uh, they oftentimes pick up waste in areas uh, where their pollution is regarded as being something very negative by the mayors. Uh, and this this Nicola order is, seems very frugal. I mean, the stock's only up six. Uh, you know, David, when the uh, when the bulls get going in this market, they don't stop at up six. Right. It's everything's taken to an extreme in this market. Everything. Right. And so uh, those who uh, look at it up six, look, I have no uh, dog in the hunt, but that's obviously not enough. You mentioned MGM uh, yeah. and we should take a look at it because uh, it is up. Um, Barry Diller, uh, IAC, of course, Mr. Diller's uh, a company is. Um, Making a significant investment in the company uh, is is what we're told. Um, I want more specifics. I'm not right. finding it in the release that I have here, although I did think it was 11 percent. But I want to make sure, Jim, I don't know if you have any more on it specifically, but you can see it's having a very positive impact on shares of MGM this morning. Um, it's put a bid on a lot of the and they the, the, the they need more money. I'm told they need more money for the build out in Japan, apparently, as well. Huh. Um, project in Osaka. Uh, which could cost enormous amounts. Uh, and this is one of the ways for them to stay in that process uh, as well. So that's a significant move in MGM bringing IAC and not necessarily a name we'd immediately associate with no. a gaming company. I thought that IAC might be in- interested in TikTok uh, and floated that uh, that was met particularly uh, with crickets. It was a cricket situation. What was? Sorry. My IAC to uh, would be should be interested in TikTok. Oh, 
<laughs> I got the, I got You've the been greatest. trying everybody out. I got the Heisman. Well, you know You've what? Been trying everybody. Who are you? Who I, are now? Didn't, I didn't include Twitter because I thought no. that Twitter is a fraction of the size. Wouldn't be able to do it. Well, it's small. I had the Verizon. It's, I had the IAC. But David, Twitter? It, Twitter is is fairly small from a I mean, listen, I think that there is the potential to bring in other investors were you to actually pursue it. I have no information on that. You're referring to a Wall Street Journal report over the weekend that cited preliminary talks. I'm not sure. I'm somewhat dubious as to their ability to pull it off. We asked Secretary Mnuchin, of course, who's at the center of this process right. in some way in terms of at the negotiating table for the U.S., uh, Jim. He had nothing really to add. No. Microsoft continues to be focused on it. They don't need any help. We know that. And again, I do come back to this part of the story that I've been reporting on, which is the transport or the movement of the software code within a year's time and right. the, the undertaking that represents and the fact that there are very few companies, and Twitter may not be part of that list, they could even undertake that. For, forget the financial side of the equation. And we'd have no idea where this thing could end up. You were so given, right. When I interviewed Hans Vestberg, yeah. really the issue was the code. Yeah. It's code. always the code. And people, unless you went to Stanford Business School, you don't understand the problems here. It's, it's, it's a huge undertaking and a huge issue. that We can see what Twitter's doing there. If you're ByteDance, you want there at least to be the appearance of competition. Right. As you're negotiating with Microsoft... You at least want Microsoft to think, well, maybe there's somebody else out there. Maybe we do need to increase our bid by a little bit more than we anticipated because of the possibility they're talking to somebody else. But it remains very much unclear whether that really will be the case. And, Dave, we didn't mention Foot Locker, which okay. had better than expected. It was up $5 a dollar. But yeah. when you're Foot Locker doing better, what do you do? Well, you just close your eyes and you buy the stock of Nike. And there we go. Up three. This is the consumer's. This and, and uh, by the way, this and Lululemon yeah. are the what we regard as the survivors. A lot of the also-ran retailers are up today. Uh, why is that? I think that there's pressure taken off of them all because Simon Property Group may have had a, 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 an idea for Sears and JCPenney. Right. Wouldn't that be something if you had didn't Crazy. have those giant empty uh, stores in the box? I know. So Amazon puts them out of business and then takes their space to make fulfillment centers? Well, David, yeah. what can I say? I know. Only the strong survive. You know that. So does Jeff Bezos. Wasn't just Billy Paul. Um, Kodak, Jim, before we get moving, because we want to get to Bob Bassani, we we mentioned it briefly. Uh, Listen, we've been following it closely because it's such a bizarre situation. The company we know, of course, in terms of photography up there in Rochester, New York, lands a $765 million loan from a heretofore somewhat unknown and name-changed U.S. agency that apparently invests as much as $60 billion over time in developing countries, but had its charter changed via an executive order on May 14th that allowed it to invest in the U.S., in supply chains and response to COVID. What did the DFC say uh, uh, the other night on Friday night? They said, hey, we did sign this letter of interest, but recent allegations of wrongdoing raise serious right. concerns. We'll not proceed any further unless these are cleared. They're talking about uh, insiders getting hit with more stock. Now, we also know, by the way, a director, I pointed at George Carfunkel, Carfunkel uh, filed a 13D, uh, gave away $100 million at the time worth of stock um, after it moved up enormously. This embraces so many different things, Jim, yeah. that we've been following, both the opaque way that our government works in certain ways lately, executive orders and the like, and then uh, crony capitalism. We're never sure exactly how or why they chose Kodak. Uh, And then the speculative nature of the market itself, where the Robin Hood traders, so to speak, sent this thing up to 50 bucks a share. Well, now we have to find out. By the way, it wasn't Paul Simon, it was Garfunkel, and it wasn't, uh, by the way, Billy Paul, it was Jerry Butler for only a strong survive. 
you know, David, when I see this, I think, okay, again, U.S. attorney. Where are the U.S. attorneys that want to run for governor? Don't you remember those guys? They would look at something like this and say, okay, I'm making some phone calls, not the SEC. The U.S. attorney has a fabulous opportunity to do something uh, and make a name, which is prosecutorial discretion. This one is one of the worst I've seen. Uh, it, it does make Easterbrook look like an egg McMuffin versus uh, a Big Mac fries and, and, and Diet Coke. Yeah. Well, this story may not be over, and we'll be keeping an eye on the DFC to see if they tweet something else in terms of the status of that loan. Why is that stock only down six if Kodak is wiped? Well, Kodak does have an existing business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe. Uh, all right. Let's get to Bob Pisani. Uh, always good to see him. Uh, welcome back, Bob. Thanks very much, David. Good to be back and happy Monday, everybody. Nice start for the week. Three to one, advancing the declining stocks. So once again, we're getting that value rotation. That's been a big story in July. One of the reasons the market's holding up. Just take a look here. You've got banks doing better, industrials, energy. There's your value rotation. Uh, tech's lagging a little bit compared to that. And healthcare. This has been a story really all month. We're getting a little mini boomlet. I'm calling it a mini boomlet in value uh, for the month. So if you take a look, those banks, those industrial sectors, uh, the energy stocks, the technology stocks are lagging here. So the S&P is up a little more than 2% for the month. And you can see that value boom here. Uh, tech and healthcare still, I think, not enough to call it a real big trend, but it's going on for the last couple of weeks or so. And that's why the S&P is holding up so well, folks. You see, 33.51, we closed on Friday. Remember the old high back February 19th? Remember that one? 33.86. We're only 30 points away from an historic high on the S&P. And these are closing numbers that I'm giving you, 33.86 on February 19th. One of the reasons is earnings have been much better than expected. We're close to 90% done with the second quarter earnings. Look at these extraordinary numbers. The company's beating Average companies are beating by 22%. That's amazing. Normally, companies on aggregate beat by about 3%. But look at the revenues. They're only beating by 1%. Wait a minute here. There's no top-line beats going on, no revenue beats going on, but there's a huge bottom-line beat going on. What's that all about? And I think that's about cost-cutting and how aggressive companies have been. John Vale over at Nico Asset Management, he pointed this out. He said, I think there's going to be... A a K-shaped recovery. That's what he was talking about, where they've had some companies do really well in earnings and others haven't. That's a K-shaped, interesting term. But he said quite often these earnings beats are driven by exceptionally large cuts in SG&A costs. And I think that's exactly it. SG&A is selling general administration costs. And that's everything. That's salaries. That's commissions. That's advertising. Uh, companies are saving money by firing people and reducing costs. And that's dramatically helping the overall bottom line. By the way, one company that did really well on top line, they were the exception, Foot Locker. Jim mentioned this, but this is extraordinary numbers. They gave preliminary numbers, including July, 66 to 70 cents. Wait a minute. The analysts were expecting a loss of 60 cents. Folks, that's not even close. We're talking about different galaxies at this point. Same store sales. They are estimated going to be up 18 percent. The analysts thought it was going to be down 23 percent. What happened? <laughs> Just people bought a lot more sneakers than anybody anticipated. Pent up demand. And the effect of fiscal stimulus and the company, David, also cited expense management. There's that managing expenses, keeping costs low, and, of course, keeping hired employees down as well. David, back to you. Yeah, for sure, Bob. Uh, thank you. Uh, Bob Bassani, good to have him back. Coming up, shares of Barrick Gold up more than 55% so far this year. It's an earnings beat coming on top of, top, of course, of what have been those record high gold prices. We're going to talk to Barrick's CEO. Keep it here. 
Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Barrett Gold reporting quarterly results this morning, beating on the top and bottom lines. The shares, well, they've uh, moved up almost 60 percent over the course of this year. Let's bring in Barrick CEO, Mark Bristow. Mark, always good to have you. Uh, and obviously a good time for your company, given what's going on with the metal. Um, what are your expectations here for gold itself? Uh, I mean, are we going to continue to, to see it move higher? Uh, and are you going to continue to generate free cash flow, the likes of which I know your company hasn't seen in a bit? Well, you know, we set out when we merged with Rangold uh, back in uh, the 1st of January last year, to build a real value-driven company. And basically what the gold price has done in the last while is just brought everything forward. But we're on track, and uh, and we certainly um, are designed to make, uh, you know, r- r- significant returns at a long-term gold price of 1,200. So these gold prices are great, and you're seeing the benefits of it, uh, you know, visually. Hey, Mark, it's Kramer. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Jim. You? Well, um, I'm doing better than good because, you know, I've always believed that gold should be part of people's uh, uh, portfolio. You and I believed that from day one. Do you think that's what's happening? Do you think we're getting to the point where everybody knows that 10 percent of their portfolio should be with gold, given the fact that things are crazy out there? Yes, I think, uh, Jim, somebody is really, uh, you know, getting their head around that. And uh, and we've seen that we started seeing that before this big run up uh, where we were, you know, even in the big funds. We're now spread across the sort of more generalist uh, investors. And uh, and I, I do agree that, you know, I mean, go back, Jim, to late 90s when people were not interested in gold and no one thought the dollar could ever weaken. And now we've got the situation where, you know, gold is the uh, you know, sort of the reference currency of the world. And, and certainly that's benefiting uh, the gold price now. Mark, I don't think people realize the classes you put together, uh, which has a cost that is so low, particularly in Nevada. But more important, you keep emphasizing how do you that you did this despite COVID-19, which is obvious when you have all these miners working together. It it, it would spread pretty rapidly, but it hasn't. Uh, And I, I attribute that to the fact that this is not your first pandemic. That's correct. You know, we, I grew up in Africa. This is, uh, <laughs> we deal with crises, as I've shared with you before, Jim, in the morning, and then we have a few more in the afternoon, just for good measure. So, um, yeah, I think the point here is that, you know, this crisis is a genuinely unprecedented black swan event. And, uh, and I, you know, I'm, uh, I don't believe that anyone can say that 
the world dealt with this on a global basis, and it is a global crisis. And what what we did is what we have done before, and that is the first thing is you understand it. Second thing, you set the protocols. And, you know, as, as much as everyone would like this virus to go away, it's not going to go away. And our behavior and the way we manage our business is critical to continue to build and deliver that economic component of, uh, you know, a, a, a successful world economy and and our, us as humans to continue to live and earn and and uh, and grow and and what we didn't do is we thought we thought actually that we could just lock this whole thing away and it, and it's not the case and so we've demonstrated you can work if you if you uh, adhere to the protocols and uh, and we've been able to manage uh, different scenarios with different social situations uh, right the way through North America, uh, Central and South America, and more importantly, across Africa. And we've been able to keep our operations operating. Mark, one thing is confusing after listening to you and knowing that others did not share your knowledge of how pandemics deal uh, and the tremendous demand for gold versus actually where gold is. Uh, uh, and you, of course, benefited from, the, from Nevada. But you're still using 1,350. Now, come on, Mark. Gold's at 2,000. Isn't it time? So we've, uh, we allocate, actually, Jim, at 1,200, and, um, and we are using 1,500 now just to manage the short-term horizon. But I would take you back to the gold price performance back to Bretton Woods in 1972. There have been two sparks, uh, 1980 and, uh, and the 2011 spark. And, uh, and, of course, we're busy with one now. But look at the shape of those arising gold prices. They, they come back down, but they've never come back down to where they left. And so, sure, we're going to see an, another base lift of the gold price. I'm absolutely convinced. But it's going to take us some time to understand what that base is. In the meantime, it's important, as I pointed out, to, to maintain the discipline and not do what the industry did back in 2009 to 2013 and just become a reckless allocator of capital. <laughs> That's why people invest in gold mine, mining companies and gold companies is they want to benefit in times of crises. And I'm very pleased to say that we're uh, certainly benefiting our shareholders. Yeah, well, Mark, on that subject of being or not being a reckless allocator of capital, uh, I did note, of course, your cash flow and free cash flow are up a great deal. You raised your dividend about 14 percent. But I do wonder, given also you brought your indebtedness down, uh, do you think shareholders are going to clamor for more uh, in terms of return of capital? You know, I think the shareholders understand me. We are we are very mindful, and that's my ticket. You know, I'm a shareholder, and I uh, love dividends. But we want sustainable dividend policy, uh, and we've got a little bit more work to do, but certainly we're getting Barrick, the new Barrick, into shape where it is able to deliver value throughout the cycle, the gold price cycle. So, you know, watch the space. All right, Dr. Mark Bristow, also known as Mark to us because he's been such a faithful guest. Uh, he was the uh, CEO of Barrick Gold. Mark, it's great to see you, and thank you for giving us a little perspective on the price in gold. Pleasure.
Well, coming up this Wednesday, don't forget, it's the CNBC Small Business Playbook Virtual Summit. We're going to gather the most trusted and inspirational voices in business, including Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg, to provide small business owners the resources to survive today's Who's crisis. Who's interviewing her, David? I do not know. Oh, come on. Be self-aggrandizing for me. Uh, would it be you? Bingo. Okay, good. Well... Are you going to just talk about small business, or are you going to get in there and talk about all sorts of Wait, other stuff? Wait, talk about McDonald's? I mean, come on. we got to talk about business. By the way, go to cnbcevents.com slash playbook to learn more, and make sure to register. Got to register. Fang. Yes. My partner over there named it, and there it is. Mixed picture uh, this morning. Of course, Apple, as we talked about earlier, getting the benefit of, again, some positive writings amongst analysts, is the uh, best performer of the group. All right, let's get to Jim and stop trading. David, for months, American Airlines was one of the top 10 uh, Robin Hood names. It's very People very excited about it. Now's the time to be excited about it. I, I do believe that uh, Phil LeBeau earlier this morning was talking about bailout. Uh, Americans making a comeback. Uh, I think there's a belief that they never let these airlines fail and that Americans gotten too cheap and the buyers are all over the place. So you like it here? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do like it here. I think that that group is going to make a comeback because I think eventually we beat the virus. In the meantime, I think the government would never let these guys go under. As Phil said, there's too many uh, Congress people who don't want air flight in their district to be curtailed. Right. But the airlines themselves have talked about years before it's a full recovery. Oh, 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 Doesn't mean the stocks don't recover more fully. Oh, you were talking about the fundamentals? Yeah. Oh, my God, David. I've taught you nothing. You've taught me so much. Oh. Um, hopefully, I've taught you a couple of things. You right. sure have. Um, all like right, what the it, fact that the balance sheet matters? Yeah, sometimes. No, sometimes. No, no. All right, um, so. Yeah, what do you got on Matt tonight? I've got Take Two, obviously, I had the quarter. I've got SailPoint, which is one of the fastest growing companies in the world because, of course, work at home. And in Seago, everyone loves 5G, including Apple. The big note about Apple this morning was hey, maybe it's uh, Wedbush. Right. All going to be all 5G phones. Stra- wasn't Stra- was Strauss just on or am I? No, it was canceled oh, because okay. of that's what I don't know. Some people it. don't have reception in their houses. I don't know, David. I, I mean, well, you're here. You probably know. I'm here. Yeah. My Internet this morning didn't get going. No, no, no. But didn't. listen, uh, they've been making incredible efforts and we were lucky to have it over the weekend. It just disappeared. Well, when you I know, needed enjoy. It. Yeah. Enjoy. I'm happy to be here with you, Jim. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.